0: Today we continue in our study through the book of Galatians to Galatians chapter 4. Before we begin, do you mind turning to someone around you and saying good morning to them for a moment? Ah, terrific. Now say to them, we are better together. Could you say that for a moment? You say, Mark. I told you this is the place for romance, right? We established that already. So if you're single, sitting next to somebody who's single, then there you go. Fifteen years ago, when hope was planted, we planted Hope Fellowship under the direction of God, that the Lord gave us this vision of people becoming and belonging, that this was our focus in the funnel that everything worked through, And so what we said that we would do is that every year, a couple of times a year, we would come back to this thought because people need vision. I need vision. You need vision. And so we'd remind us of this. And so what we've been doing for some time now is every or twice a year, we focus on becoming a belonging and we have called that this year Better Together. And so normally we break this out of our sermon series, and we just sort of put this in its own series. But this year, as we find ourselves in the book of Galatians and where we are currently in chapter 4, we thought, man, this is absolutely perfect to stay here. So I have the question today, then why are we better together? I think it's a, it's a huge question. Why are we, why are we better together? And, and so I want to kind of give some flesh to the bones in a few moments about that and answer that question for you as we teach through this this morning. So today I couldn't think of a title. I mean, well, I could, I actually, I thought of too many titles. And so I call this sons and daughters was one, sons and daughters, karma or grace, you know, I, I, because there's so much in seven verses here, it's going to be very difficult to get it all in, but we're going to really give it our best shot. So let me give you a little understanding about chapters three and four in the book of Galatians for a moment with an illustration. So on the way to Clemson yesterday morning to meet Reba, I go by this billboard and and Reba can tell you that somewhat because of my attention deficit that, that I, my eyes tend to wonder. I read things all the time. You know, it's not always good, right? Because, you know, we have one of those cars that have this sensor for when you go close to the white line one way or the other, you know, I don't know if you have one of those things. And it just goes beep, beep, beep all the time, right? And, And so sometimes maybe mine needs to just be a continual beep, I think, because I do get distracted at times. And some of you want to know, Mark, when are you on the road? Let me know because I'm not driving anymore, right? And it's not quite that bad. But I saw this billboard. And four words from the entire billboard stood out to me. Here's the four words on the billboard. It said, Clemson Simple Online Cremations. And I thought that's interesting, isn't it? The, the word Clemson is not the thing that caught my mind. It's it's the it's it's the word cremation, coupled with that of simple and online, right? I just thought it just doesn't seem to go get go you know together. I'm sure there's something missing. I didn't get all the signs, so there's there's more to it. I, I am sure, um, but it just doesn't kind of fit together. And then I thought, well, that's interesting, you know. Because if someone gets on my bad side, I can just simply go online and sign them up for a cremation, right? And that's the way to handle all of bad relationships from now on, right? I'm just going to sign you up. You get something in the mail and says you've been scheduled, right? And, and, but I'm still living. I know that's the point. You know, we're trying to get rid of you. But here's the thing. And, and I thought, well, there has to be something I'm missing. I just read those four words because I know that's not what it means. When you look at chapters 3 and 4 of the book of Galatians, first of all, we realize that the book itself is written in letter form. So the chapter and verse divisions are not there. When Paul wrote the letter, that was added later by the translators and, and others for our study benefit. But that's added later, so it's in a letter form and what happened is that when the translators and others who would divide, divide that in, put that in divisions, that they would many times divide Paul's thoughts because Paul would just ramble on and on and on, similar to me maybe at times. And so he would just ramble on and on. So they would simply, in the middle of a thought, they would just put another chapter. That's exactly what three and four are. If you look at the context of three and four, actually they could all be three or they could all be four because they kind of go together. And so what they did is they broke up at the very end of chapter three and they started chapter four and it's still the very same thought. And what he's talking about is our our identity, our identity in Christ is what he's talking about, who we are in Christ. And so it's a conversation that really started way back in chapter 2. Last week, we shared this verse with you. I said, if you're going to memorize a verse in the book of Galatians, memorize Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Here's what it says. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And when I begin to look at that, as we talked about last week, what I realized that, wow, this is a blueprint for our life and identity. It really is that we are in Christ. It's the way that the father sees you and I through the perfection of his son, Jesus. And then secondly, that Christ is in us, that the power of the crucified and resurrected Lord is resident in our life. And it is simply the source of our spiritual life. So it is the, it is the source of our growth in God and all comes out of the gospel. And then he says, this life that I now live It's the dirt road of sanctification. We talk about all the time. The road that's full of potholes and all of those kinds of things. And trip ups and all the things when you fall and stumble. That that road is experienced. And my spiritual growth is experienced on that road. Through the very same faith that saved me. All founded in the gospel. It's who you and I are as believers. That we are in Christ. Christ is within us. Is what. Paul is teaching us this life I now live, this journey to grow and to become the person that God has designed me to become is all based upon the gospel and what Christ has done for me within my life. So if you're searching for identity in this world, then there it is, a very powerful picture and painting of identity centered around the redemptive work of Christ. Then, last week, we ended chapter 3 with verses 28 and 29. Here's what it says. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. And when I read that, what I realized is that, in chapter 3, it first starts out by saying that this is not all necessarily referring to all of Abraham's offspring, but one of his offspring. And we know that the promise that is given to Abraham is not based upon Abraham's faithfulness, it's not based upon our faithfulness as his offspring. But it's based upon that of Christ. So it is a teaching of Christ alone. But here he brings us back to this fact that you and I are offspring of Abraham. And the reality is because of that and what Christ has done and his faithfulness, we have become heirs of the promise that God made to Abraham. Is what he's saying. But the hinge pin of all of that is that. The promise is not fulfilled through our faithfulness or Abraham's faithfulness at all. But it's fulfilled through the the faithfulness of Christ. That we are descendants of Abraham. Yes... And we are heirs of the promise. And then he says, you are heirs. You are both Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. He recognizes the differences that are in this room and in the world. He recognizes those things. But what he says in Christ and before the cross, there is no barriers. There is no barriers to redemption and how God saves us. And so what I realize is that's what makes us better. That's what makes us better together is, it, is what we share. It is Christ within us. The defining marker of our life is what makes you and I better together in this life. And so in chapter 4, Paul builds this out for you and I in a greater way. That we are heirs according to the promise. Not heirs by the law. Because the law had its place in our life but did not have the ability to save us. We talked about that last week. But yet, we are heirs according to the promise because of Christ's adoption in our lives. So we are sons and daughters of God. Wow. So why are we better together? You asked that, or you said that to the person next to you. Because they're your brother or they're your sister. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it? Yeah. Say, Mark, that's, that's kind of strange because like I'm sitting next to my fiance or whatever. And that's my sister. That's, this is South Carolina, right? So anyway, and, and, and it's a joke. And only people from South Carolina can make the joke. But we move on. So now. But we are brothers and sisters. What defines us? Greater than marriage? greater than biology, greater than we attend the same church? What defines us more than any of that? And that is that we are brothers and sisters because we have been adopted by the Father through His Son, Jesus. Can I read the text to you in chapter 4, verse 1? He says, I mean that the heir, so again, see it's a continuation of chapter four, or chapter three. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, for he is under guardians and managers until the day set by his father, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So here's the thought, and I want to talk about this coming of age thing. And Anna, remember back when you were a child and you had this great desire to be an adult, right? Because our illusion of being adult is that you're in control of your destiny and you can do whatever you want to do. What I realize in life is this, there's always somebody to tell you what to do. Amen? Isn't that right? No matter how old you are. So when you were younger, you you wanted to just hurry up and move on this progression of getting older. So like when we were seven and somebody asked you how old you were, you would tell them that you were seven and a half, right? Yeah. You ever done that? Sure. Because you wanted to move that along. So when you're 12, almost become a teenager and you want to become a teenager, then people say, oh, so how old are you? Well, I'm 12 and a half, right? Yes. But here's the interesting thing. I've never heard anyone say they were 63 and a half. You know, I've never heard that. Have you? No. We desire in our life to move on that progression. But when we get there, we want to slow it down, right? Yes, we want want to do that. And so what Paul does here, Paul uses an analogy about this process of coming of age is what he does. And he uses the analogy based upon Roman Greek culture. So he talks about a child. This child is growing up in a home. This home is maybe a wealthy home because he talks about a servant. So there's a child that grows up in a home who has servants. This servant, if you grew up in this culture, then as a child, you would have a servant attached to you to care for you. And that servant many times was called a guardian or a nanny. Very same words that is used back in chapter 3 when he talks about the law. And we talked about how the law functions in our life as a guardian as well. And so in that Roman culture, it's very interesting because there was no real specific age for... and, and And I talk about this in context of how it's written here. So I'll use that male reference, that there was no certain age for a boy to be recognized as a man. It was always up to the father to determine when that happened, right? And so the father would watch the child grow, and then at some point the father would say, okay, now it's time, and the father would recognize the child as as being not a child, but a man. And then, in this culture, then the father would formally adopt the child. It's interesting, isn't it? You thinking Some of you parents are thinking, I should use that with my kids, right? Yes. If you don't follow the rules, if you don't live like I want you to do, if you don't do this, then, then you may be my kid, but I'm just not going to adopt you, right? And you don't get anything. That's the, the whole thing, right? And so, this is the culture. So I, I I thought about the culture in which Paul was writing this in. And then he says that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. So I pictured this young boy, say he's five years old, you know, and he's destined to inherit, fully inherit, all that his father has. He is already, you know, the father's son. I think it's interesting with the way Paul states that as well, that even at this point, that you know, he has the destiny, is what Paul is saying, that everything already he owns everything already, meaning that he has the destiny, but he has not been established as the heir yet. And, it, and it's so interesting this difference that Paul talks about, but he talks about the, the slave and the child being no different. Because at this point, The slave probably has more freedom than the child. The the slave probably has more authority than the child does because it's his guardian, the child's guardian. But there's a difference because the child has a destiny and the slave does not. The servant does not. And I looked at this and I thought, what is Paul saying to us? It seems to be very difficult and very layered, whatever he's saying. So I I need some understanding. So I begin to look at the gospel and what he's been saying to us. And what I realize is this. He's painting this amazing picture for you and I with this analogy. That following man's failure in the garden, God sent the law. God sent the law as an act of compassion so that man would not destroy itself. And so God sends the law. But the law didn't have the ability to save man, nor did it have the power and the strength for man to keep the law. And so the law was a guardian. The law was a a servant that pushed us to God. And then God made this promise in Genesis that at some point at the appointed time, at the appointed moment then god would step into this that god would appear on the on the scene and what god would do would fix all that was broken in this world and he would adopt us and when i read all of this i thought from the very beginning it's always been god's heart to have you and i as sons and daughters from the very beginning, from the moment that Adam and Eve were created, from, from all through the initial sin, all through the years of the, of the heavy law that people lived under, all through those moments... All through the times of the New Testament, all through that of Christ's coming, everything, every word of Scripture, all points us to the heart of God, which says this, that it's always been God's heart to have you as sons and daughters. So what does the Father do? The father steps into the lives of the children of Abraham who are living under the law, the guardian of the law. And the father says, it's time. And he adopts us as sons and daughters. Wow. So I have to use my imagination because I I have a vivid one sometimes. And so here's the way I, I saw this coming down that the father would walk by the nursery and, and and the father would see the child, the son playing in the floor of the nursery and and sitting there with the servant, the guardian. And the father would love the child from the doorway. The father's heart was always for the child. The the father was always providing for the child. But there was a difference in that relationship then and what that relationship is after adoption. And, and Paul makes that very clear. But there was one day that the father walks by the nursery and he sees the son sitting in the floor. And the father knows that it's that time. It's that moment. It, it, he, he's always been involved, always loved and always cared. But it was that moment. It's always been his heart. And he adopts that child. He adopts that son as a complete heir of everything that he has. The child always had a destiny, is what Paul meant by he owned everything, but now the child is an heir. You say, Mark, this is really like layered kind of stuff that Paul is talking to us about. It is because we need to hear it. For there's some of you in the room that struggle with how God feels about you. You struggle with how God's intent of his heart is toward you because of what you've done in life or what you have not done. It's an issue for you because you equate the father God with your earthly father who has abused you. And I understand that. Because I was one that dealt with that myself. And so this is a struggle for you. And God says, wait a minute. Take a moment. Breathe deep. Hear what my servant Paul is saying to you. That it's always been my heart for you to be my sons and daughters. That I saw your brokenness in the garden. I made you a promise that I would fix that. I sent the law in order to be a guardian over you so you would not self-destruct. But at the proper time, I said it was time for you to become an heir. And I made you my sons and daughters through my son Jesus when he came to the cross and he gave himself for you. And on the third day, he rose again. And then he says this, that when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And I thought, well, what does he mean by this? What is he talking about? So I looked that word up for elementary, and I, and I thought, what, you know, what does this mean? And it's a very, very simple word. It's about the simple process of lining things up in progression is what it is. And, and really, it takes you back to this Fact of what you and I would do in the nursery floor with blocks and that is that we would line them up and, and as soon as we learn ABCs that we would take those blocks with ABCs and we would line them up in the proper progression of A, B and C and he said it's those simple things that are in life in this world that you brought into your spiritual relationship with me is what is simply what God is saying and I thought what is he talking about the ABCs of this world what is the most simple base things and I thought about well in light of, in context of what he's been talking about, he's talking about, to me, one of the things he's talking about is cause and effect. He's talking about the word karma. You ever heard the word karma? You get what you deserve, is what he's saying. That's what it, that's what it is, right? yes. That you get what you deserve. It rules our minds. It rules our nature. That when I'm good, then I deserve good things. And when I'm bad, then I do deserve bad things. We see that of ourselves and we hold ourselves to to that rule somewhat. And then what we do is we drag that into our relationship with God. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about. We drag this understanding of the principles of the world and we drag that into our relationship with With Paul, with God. And what Paul is saying is this that listen, God has already, God has already adopted you through his son Jesus, that you are more than just a child of God because God created you, but you are a son and daughter. But for some of you in the room, you've reverted back to playing with blocks in the nursery room floor. Because you're still trying to earn what God has given you freely. You still think in the back of your mind, if I am good, then God will be good to me. And if I'm bad, then will I really deserve God to be bad to me? So you work under that rule, that principle of the world. And you drag that in and out of your relationship with God. And God says, wait a minute. He's speaking through his servant Paul to you and I. And he said, that's not the way I work. Can I borrow a text from later in chapter 4? Next week, Nathan will be preaching and teaching through this, through this series of Better Together. And so I'm going to actually read a couple of his texts. Sorry, Nathan. He's in here now, I think, somewhere. Yeah. So I'm going to take that. Oh, he's in the sound booth. I just saw his shining face back there. Yes. So I'm going to take this from you. You can go back okay, and straighten them out with it when I mess it up. So here it is. Formally... When you did not know God, this is interesting, that you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Those elementary principles that you live by, karma, that you get what you deserve. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and the worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves you want to be once more, he's saying? You observe days and months and seasons and years, I'm afraid that I have labored over you in vain. It goes back to, well, last week when he talks about, hey, you know, or, or the week before where he, he calls us fools. He says, I don't understand. You are adopted by God, you are sons and daughters of God, but you simply want to drag those elementary principles of the world back into your relationship with the Father, and it doesn't belong there. You're sons and daughters of the Father. So I have a question for you. Here's the question. And there's the question. Yeah, there it is. No, next question. Ah, see, my bad, because I skipped that question earlier. There you go. Karma or grace? How are you living? How are you living? Yes, somebody said grace. Wonderful. Absolutely. We live by grace because what grace says, grace contradicts the ABCs of, of, the, of the universe. Because, because under grace, God doesn't deal with us on the basis of what we deserve. If he gave you and I what we deserve, then this would be a very quiet room because none of us would be here. And we would simply all, all of us would be taking, you know, we, we would be taking the sign up that it simply goes on Clemson, right? Yeah, simple and uh, online cremations, because we would all be dead, it 's what we deserve. Our good cannot justify us, neither can our bad condemn us. So what are you saying? Some of you in this room are living in bondage to the elementary principles of the world, and all along you 're an heir not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. But you're living like you're in bondage. Colossians 2 and 20 says this, that if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? He takes us back to that of seeing the law, seeing the law as the road to salvation and not the guardian in our life that pushes us to the gospel, then pushes us back to God's commands. But yet he's, we we live by this and we believe that somehow that God is keeping score within our lives. So I thought, how do I talk about this for a moment? So I brought a gift. Advent is not far away. Isn't that exciting? Yes. I love Christmas. I love all of that. I say, Mark, we haven't even got past Thanksgiving yet. I know, I know. I'm prepping for Thanksgiving in anticipation for Christmas. I really am. Yeah. And so it, I, I brought a gift for you. And if I were to call you up here on the stage and I were to give you this gift and maybe we have a relationship, then you know that I'm not going to give you a gift that's going to harm you, right? It's not like you asked for bread and I give you a stone. It's not that at all. And, and so you know me somewhat, and you know, well, this is probably a really great gift. And I said, here, take it. No strings attached. This is yours. You hold it in your hands. What is the first thing you would do if I gave it to you? What would you do? You're going to shake it, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so you look at it, and you think, man, this is exciting And and I think I know what's in there, and I know it's going to be good because I know the gift giver gives good gifts. And and so I really want this. And then all of a sudden, you look at me and you say, Hey, can you take it back? Because I'd rather work for it. What? Have you lost your mind? And then I proceed to hit you in the head with a gift, right? No, no, right? What do you mean? I'm giving you a gift. You know the gift giver, so you know it's probably going to be a great gift, and you give it back to me and say, "No, I would rather work for it." It's crazy, isn't it? It's so crazy it's hard to believe that sometimes in life as heirs of God, we live like that. That's the way we live. And Paul is saying, why do you drag this stuff back into your life? Is what he's saying. Can I read on? Verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so so I wrote as a point this week, when the time was right. And I think it was perhaps one of the most boldest statements when it comes to our redemption here. and, And that is that he takes us back when he talks about... That that born of a woman, what is he talking about? He takes us even further back than Jesus. He takes us all the way back to that of a promise that was made about Christ. He takes us back to the proto that of the first gospel that we find in the book of Genesis. Where it says in Genesis 3 to 15. We talk about it a lot. But I don't read it to you. It says this. But I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. Speaking of Christ. And he shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. So it's, so it's God. It's Jesus wrapped in flesh. God wrapped in flesh. That makes us of age. Is what it is. As the, as the Roman... Culture would say the father would declare the son an adult, and the father would formally adopt that into the full heritage of the estate. God always had a plan. God always had a plan to adopt us. We came of age through the incarnate Christ, that the son makes us of age is what he's saying. That it's not a work of mine. It's not what I can accomplish and how good I am. We're not even made sons just because we are God's children through creation. It's not. It's the divine work of God through his son Jesus. It's the very heart of our Christian existence that you and I have an understanding that we are sons and daughters of God. It's the basic building block of who you and I are in Christ. It goes beyond just being, well, we're all children of God Because God created us all. It even goes further than that. There is this transition. This movement of of relationship with God. This intimacy that we find when we understand that it was the son Jesus who simply died. So you and I could be sons and daughters of the father. Paul is speaking of a deep relationship. That we're sons in Christ alone. So I wrote in my journal this week, a thought came to my mind, and, and I said to myself, Christ redeemed us, but he did not have to make us sons to redeem us. Have you ever thought about that? That I could save your life, I could. Fix you up as best I could and send you on your way and you would be better for it and you would be grateful for the rest of your life to me. But I wouldn't have to make you a son to make that a rescue. That I wouldn't have to give you the keys to my house, right? Sure, I wouldn't have to give you unlimited um, access to my refrigerator. That's all my sons had, right? Unlimited access to the fridge. No, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't have to make a room upstairs for you to live in. I wouldn't have to pay all of your bills. All those kinds of things. No, I wouldn't. I had rescued you. I made you a better person. I'd sent you on your way. And you are eternally grateful for what I did. But I didn't have to make you a son. But yet God did for us. Because his work in our life has always been about sonship. And not just acknowledging you as his creation. So let me finish. Verse 6. And because you are sons, God has set the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Abba, Father. What a a thought. And, And it's not... It's not the Swedish rock group from the 70s either, right? Yeah, some of you have no idea, right? Google it and you'll know. It's not a text that would lend to us over familiarizing ourselves with God in some disrespectful way because He is deity, God, creator of all, but a text to not, I believe, under familiarize ourselves with the Father. Because this is about intimacy with God. Because what Paul is talking about, he's talking about a relationship that transitioned. That when you were a child, you were no different than the slave. And then God, through his son, makes you an heir. And so you become a son and daughter of his. So it's a transition with intimacy with God in our relationship. It's how you see him because Paul has made it very clear how God sees you. That you're no longer just a child in the nursery, but now you're a son and a daughter. And so I thought about this relationship being the father of three sons. Because I grew up with in a situation where I didn't, I, I loved my father, but, and my father is past now, but I love my father, but I didn't want to be like him. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? And so I made it a point with my my boys, and, and I, Reva and I worked super hard and diligent. And being consistent with them to where that when they grew up, not because it was a pride issue, but I felt like because of this and mirroring this, that that I wanted my boys to have some attributes of me as well. But I wanted them to love me enough that they wanted to have those. Not because I told them to have them, but they loved me enough to, to want to have them. Because if you love your father... You want to somehow be like him. So my boys, they call me different things. My oldest, Chadwick, um, he calls me dad. Or affectionately for years, he has called me old man. That's what he calls me. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't recommend that for any of you, right? Uh, to try that one out. And if you do, you're on your own. Don't don't call me for help, okay? Right? And then my middle son, Bradley, he has always called me Pops. I love that, Pops. My younger son, Grayson, um, he calls me Dad. And... I always wanted them to love me enough to want to be like me in some ways, and and not a one of them is a pastor. I failed, right? Close the notes, go home. Done. Yeah, like what did you do, Mark? You know, Uh, Maybe I talk to them so much about, I want this to be God's call in your life. I don't want you to be dad called or mom called, so I want this to be God's call in your life so much, so much, so much that, no, I, I truly believe that it is God who gives gifts, not us. So I have one that is a law enforcement officer who is an amazing leader, just a a super investigator, serves his community well. I have one who is an expert in his field of industry, which he talks to me and I have no idea what he's talking about, but he's my son and I'll listen to it every moment. Absolutely. I have one who is a naval officer, soon to be aviator and why he wanted to do that, I don't know. Other than to make his mom and dad grow older much faster, I guess that's what it is. That's all I can think. But I have to believe there's some attributes of Rebenai in them, and so they honor me because they love me. You say, Mark, what does this have to do with anything that we're talking about? Because every child who loves his or her father wants to be like them. Paul says that, so you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through Christ, that it is Christ in me that changes my desire so that obeying him is what I want to do because I want to be like him. Does that make sense to you? That it is Christ in me that I am a son or a daughter. And because of that, it changes my desire to obey him. Because it's what I want to do, not what I am demanded to do. Because I want to be like him. So I end with an illustration. And I brought a fish with me. You say, Mark, that's a sad fish, right? I know it is. Okay. So I brought a fish. So this fish has an issue. This fish has an issue with where he finds himself confined by the ocean. And so what this fish has always dreamed of is that this fish has always dreamed of being or living on land Because he thinks that's much better than living in the ocean. Because the ocean is too restrictive. And he doesn't want to be restricted because he wants freedom. So one day, this fish finds a way to get himself on dry land. And he flips around for a while. And it meets every expectation that he had ever dreamt of about having the freedom to be on land and no longer being restricted by the ocean. But the sun starts coming up and the water recedes and he can't make himself way back to the ocean and he finds himself baking in the sun and what he realized or thought was freedom is now his sure death. And I thought about that and how that relates to what Paul is teaching us this morning in, in chapter 4. 4. That fish were designed to be in the water and they only thrive in that setting. Here's what I want to say to you this morning before we pray. That we were not just created by God. As people use that term so loosely, we're all children of God. That we were not just created by God. That we were created for God. And so the only way that you and I thrive in this life, and if you want to know the secret to thriving in this world, the only way that you and I thrive in this life is to be in right relationship with the Father. Because everything outside of being in right relationship with the Father, because we are sons and daughters, everything outside of that, we are fish out of water. And what you think is freedom... What you hope for was freedom outside of some regulation or boundaries that you find that God has set for you in order to keep you from destroying yourself. What you find is that is not freedom at all, but it's death. We only thrive when we are in right relationship with God. Because not only were we created by Him, but we were created for Him. You see, total freedom is a myth because we're not God and He's the only one that is completely free. You and I will always need something or we will always need someone in this life. Always. And we have to have something beyond ourselves to be fulfilled. And so you try that with money and you try that with romance. Man, my life is really flat right now. So if I could get a new relationship, then I'm, I'm all good and I'm ready to go. A higher standard of living, pri- popularity, good health, whatever it is. But God says, wait, stop. I'm above. I am all those things for you in life. Because you are my sons and daughters and through him we experience freedom. Paul is moving us from this thought of just being created by God, but he's moving us to the truth that you are created for God. And anything outside of that for you and I as sons and daughters Is that we're fish out of water. So where are you this morning? That's the question. How are you living? Are you living by karma? Are you living by grace today? Have you gone back to the floor of the nursery? And you've gone back to the elemental blocks of the world. Have you tried to find freedom outside of true freedom? And that is God. You see, Galatians was written for you and I today in this moment. So for a moment, would you take a posture of prayer with me? It's whether bowing your heads or closing your eyes or just sitting there silently and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you. For those of you that are joining us Online, if you would just close out your distractions around you and let's pray together. Father, thank you for, first of all, speaking to your servant Paul in a way that we can wrap our mind around this concept of being sons and daughters. Thank you, Father, for sending your son Jesus at the very right moment in time so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters and father for not giving up on us for all the moments we take out our blocks and we go back to the floor of the nursery And we go back to those things, those elementary principles in our life. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness in our lives. Father, for the truth that we only find freedom in you today. and Outside of that, we are truly fish out of water. So open our hearts to these truths. May we live as sons and daughters because you are resident within us that our desire is, Father, to be like you. So, Father, our obedience comes with a great joy in our life. Because we know you as our Father, that you are Abba. So, Father, let these truths transition our relationship with you. And, Father, for that, we thank you this morning.